I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Today, let's read our scripture today because I want to reach into the Old Testament and then the New Testament and build the argument. It said, but the people were thirsty for water there, and this is when the Israelites were in the wilderness, and they grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out into the front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock. Church, would you say, strike the rock? Now, these are the Lord's instructions of how two million people are going to get water to drink, fresh water. Strike the rock. Now, the rock that we're talking about is a rock like Gibraltar. It's like a mountain. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. How does water come out of a rock? Water will come out of it. Water will come out of it. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Well, when we go down to the New Testament, Paul picks up this story, and he said, 1 Corinthians 10 and 1, you see it there. Would you read it aloud with me, everyone? Come on. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, come on, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, the Old Testament story is talking about Israel in the wilderness. They are slaves, former slaves from Egypt, two million of them. They need water to drink. They were in the wilderness for 40 years, four decades. They lived under tents for four decades. And the wilderness is the jungle. We're not too far from the equator there. So the temperatures in the day were 120 degrees. And at night, the same desert, the temperature was around 40 degrees. Too cold at night, too hot during the day. But the Bible said for 40 years, God sent a pillar of fire. Now, a pillar would be like a tornado, a very thin tornado, but it was all fire. And it followed them every night, every, did I say every night? Every night for 40 years so they would not freeze. During the day, the sun was so hot that God put a cloud between two million people and the sun every day for 40 years so that their sun, their skin wouldn't burn. For four decades, they did not see the sun. They did not get cold at night. But they needed water to drink. And God had a rock, church, would you say rock? God had a rock that followed them wherever they went. 
So for 40 years in the wilderness, moving around from place to place, miles and miles at the time, every time they looked over their head, the rock was standing right behind them. No matter how far they went, no matter how long they stayed or short term they stayed, the rock followed them in the wilderness. And the Bible here says that rock was Christ. Now, from scriptures like that, we understand something about who Jesus is and what he means to us as his people. You have all kinds of religions that deny that. And I want you to be patient with me for just a few minutes. It won't take me a long time to preach this. I just need my, my younger friends to understand. You have all kinds of religions in the world. One of the more popular ones is Scientology. I want to read a little bit to you about that because I need you to understand the difference between Christianity or Christ and Scientology. The question before I read it comes up, can you, be, can you have Christ and not be a Christian? Well, understand that the word Christian starts in the Bible, in the book of Acts, as a term of mockery. The enemies of the church started calling people Christians. It was never meant to be a compliment. It was never meant to be something that people uh, were proud of. When they called you a Christian, they were putting a target on your back. And if at any given point you could be hurt or killed because of your faith, then that was what the term was about. As the, as the centuries group went on, Christian and Christianity became uh, synonymous to believing in Christ. But yes, you can believe in Christ and not be practicing as a Christian. Does that surprise you? Because it, our faith is not a religion, it's a relationship. You understand? It is a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. There are religions in the world. Now, the word religion, the word religion means obligation or duty. It is something that you do. For example, we're at church here today. That is a practice of our religion. All right? But there are many who would be here, but they can't be here. But that has nothing to do with their relationship with Christ. We have people on the sick list, the shut-in list, the prayer list. They would be here if they could be here, but they can't be here. That doesn't mean they're not in Christ because they're not here. Which means also, if you're walking with me, there's a whole lot of church folk who practice Christianity, but they ain't in Christ. They do the religion, but they're not walking the walk. I don't have a witness here. Well, with Scientology, most of our lives we've been taught. Now, this is on Scientology. Scientology says most of our lives we've been taught to believe that personality, your personality is a genetic trait and cannot be changed and that you have to deal with it. This is simply not true. The fact is you can change your personality and become much better, happier version of yourself um, that faces and conquers the challenges of life with knowledge and ease, the real you can be seen. This is Scientology. Find your problem areas and discover your level of happiness, self-confidence, stability, and more. 
Find out how your personality determines your ability to handle relationships. Know your strengths. Learn how to increase them so that you can achieve more out of life and, each, and reach higher states of existence. How many want to be able to do that? Doesn't that sound like the way some modern churches talk to people? Also, fundamental to Scientology is a view of, of life as compartmentalization or to be compartmentalized into urges, drives, impulses towards the survival. These are called dynamics. And then number eight in all, the first dynamic Scientology teaches is the urge towards existence as oneself. Here we have individuality expressed fully. This can be called the self-dynamic. The second dynamic is the urge towards existence as a sexual activity. This dynamic actually has two divisions. Second dynamic, um, it, A, the, of the two divisions, is the sexual act itself. And the second dynamic, B, is the family unit, including the rearing of children. This can be called the sex dynamic. The Church of Scientology has a long history of seeking out artists, musicians, writers, actors, and states that Scientology can help them in their lives and careers. Who are some celebrity Scientologists? Christy Alley, Catherine Bell, David Campbell, Nancy Cartwright, Brandy took classes, but eventually dropped out. Erica Christensen, Tom Cruise, Doug Fresh, Shaka Khan, Al Jarreau, Isaac Hayes, who's gone now, Kelly Preston, John Travolta, Greta Van Susteren, Princess Joy Vila, Billy Sheehan, and more. The face of Scientology. Be a better you. Isn't that wonderful? And yet, so many churches today lead with that particular line. Not preaching Christ, but preaching the power of self. I'll get a witness in a minute. Well, we have to understand that with all of these religions and all of their pulling on you to, for self-improvement, that's not God. There's some religions that teach God as an idea. So when you talk about the Church of Christian Science and people like Mary Baker Eddy, God is an idea. And all you have to do is find that idea. It's inside of you. It's all inside of you. Well, those would be considered the new idol gods of our day. When they were in the wilderness, you remember, they took gold and made a golden calf and made that their god. Well, the devil knows that you wouldn't fall for that today. You would, if we had a golden calf up the street, you wouldn't go fall on your face and pray to it. You got more sense than that. But people 
many people love the idea that if I can get in touch with the real me, then I will be the ideal person. No, rather than get in touch with me, I need to get in touch with the one who made me. Because he knows more about me than I know about myself. I'll be honest with you, there are times that I surprise myself. I do things I didn't think I would ever do. I've, I've seen words come out of my mouth I didn't even think I would ever say. I made foolish commitments. And at times I have made decisions that have cost me years of time to correct. I don't need to find the real me. I need to find the one who created me and let him work on me. That's why I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus because he is the Christ, the son of the only living God. I would stipulate that there are other gods, but they have ears and cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have legs, but they cannot move. I will stipulate they have hands, but the hands cannot work. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God. One of the many reasons I believe in him is because although he has not lived on the earth for nearly 2,000 years, prayer to him works. Prayer in his name works. I have proof in my own personal life that he is alive. Now, my proof, my testimony is not designed to prove it to you. It's only designed to inspire you to go seek for yourself. Because everybody who knows this God that I'm talking about, we know him personally. And we know him in a way that the person sitting right next to us does not know him. Do you realize that we all that know God, we know him, but none of us know him the same way? Do you realize that? Do you realize that he is so personal that the way you know him and the way I know him is not the same, is not the same, and yet he is the same God. What you know about him and what I know about him is different. I can give you my testimony and you may be inspired, but you cannot use it for your testimony because that same God is so awesome. He never works with any two people in the same way. And here we see in the text, as I get through, here we see God is seen as a rock. Now he's seen as a rock throughout the Bible. Deuteronomy 32 verses 3 and 4 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. 2 Samuel 22 verses 2 and 3, David said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold my refuge and my savior from violent people, Lord, 
you save me. Psalm 62 and 2 says, truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. So God is a rock of protection. Would you all say protection? Say he's my rock of salvation. Say he is my rock of strength. Well, for protection, we've got Psalm 31 and verse 3. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. For salvation, we have Psalm 27 and 5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm about to shout now. He will hide me in the shelter of the sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. For strength, Psalm 62 and 7, my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Well, let's talk about the rock. Would you say the rock? The rock is with us. I tell you, that rock followed them everywhere they went. Whenever they looked around, the rock was behind them. Whether they went to the north, south, east, or west, during the 40 years of them going in the wilderness, they could not escape the rock because the rock, as Christ, is bound to go where we go. You can't travel so far that you escape him. You can't travel so fast that you leave him behind. I said, Jesus is the rock. The old church used to sing it this way. He's so high, you can't go over him. He's so low, you can't go under him. He's so wide, you can't go around him because he is the rock. Now, the rock that followed them was a rock. No grass growing on it, no trees growing out of it, no shrubs. It is a huge rock. Not beautiful, not pretty, uncomely, huge and dirty. Do you know that's what the Bible said about Jesus? In the book of Isaiah said when he comes, there is no beauty that we should desire him. There's nothing about him that looks good. Sometimes on these pictures that they paint, the portraits of Christ, they've got him too cute. Sometimes he's too white. Sometimes his eyes are too blue. Sometimes his beard looked like he went to the barber shop before he got the picture taken. There was nothing attractive about Jesus. There's no, you wouldn't call him cute. You wouldn't call him fine. You wouldn't call him attractive. He was just an ordinary looking man. But even though he was undesirable in his appearance, it makes him desirable all the more desirable in who he is. And the rock followed Israel in the desert. The Bible said when Jesus was born, they called his name Emmanuel which means God with us. I haven't figured out how to say that. Do you say God with us? Or do you say God with us? Or do you say God with us? But God is with us. See, if I say God with us, that means we've got the highest and holiest of all personalities 
on with us everywhere we go in all that we do. God, God is with us. I like it when you're with me, but I like it better when I know that he's with me. I love my friends and my friends have been there, but the truth is they could only be there with encouragement. There have been times I needed more than encouragement. I've needed a miracle. I've needed a breakthrough. I've needed money. I've needed more than just somebody to say it's going to be all right. I needed God with me. But then to think about God with me. Oh, man, when I walk into a room, I'm not walking in there by myself. I wish I had a witness here. If you need to go down and talk about a loan to buy a house, remember God is with you. I don't have any help here. If you need to get enrolled in school and you're a little nervous, go on down there because God is with you. If you're facing going to court and you know it's a bogus charge or you know that you, are, that you have broken the law and you don't know what's going to happen, don't go to court without knowing God is with you. If they put you in jail, go to jail knowing God is with you. If they give you a prison sentence, know when you go into the prison, God is with you. God is with us. Hey, I may not look like much, but God is with me. Oh, come on now. I may not have as much as you have. Maybe, don't, maybe I don't fare as well in life as you do. But let me tell you something I've got that maybe you can't see by looking at me. God is with me. I'm not intimidated by any man. I'm not afraid of any man because God is with me. Sometimes people get a little nervous because they, they're put in positions where they don't think they qualify or they don't think that they're up to it. But you've got to remember when you walk in that meeting, God is with you. And that same God who is with you will give you words to say when the moment arises. God with us. The rock followed them. The rock is big and strong. Jesus is strong and immutable. But don't just look at the rock. Look at the rod. Now here's what God said. Strike the rock. How did Moses get water from a rock? How would you get water from a rock? I know what you'd probably try to drill a hole in it. Because if there's any water in there, we got to get it out. Come on now. If there's any water in there, we got to find a way to penetrate the rock and get the water to, to, to come out. What did God tell Moses to do? Take your rod. Somebody say, your rod. Hey, that rod came in handy, didn't it? Come on now. That's the same rod that Moses used as a shepherd to rescue lamb and sheep. It's the same rod that the day that God met him at the burning bush, Moses threw it down and it became a snake and picked it back up and it became a rod. That's the same rod that when Moses got to the Red Sea, he put it out over the water and the sea parted. And the same rod, God said, use your rod. What is the rod the symbol of? The rod is the symbol of your testimony. Whatever you've been using, whatever way you've been praying, whatever way you've been seeking God, don't change because there's a new challenge. The proud that saved you 10 years ago will save you again right now. You don't have to change rods in order to get a breakthrough. Keep the same faith you've been working with. Moses used that rod for everything in life. I'm here to tell you I use my faith. 
for everything in life. I don't just use it at the church. I use it when I have to handle business. I use it when I'm driving my car. I use it when I'm flying in a plane. I use the same faith everywhere I go. There's some people, they want to run over to one church and get saved, then run down to another church and get the Holy Ghost, then run down to another church and get healed. I don't have to do that. I bring the same faith with me. When I walk in this door, I know my salvation is in this house. I know that my deliverance is in this house. I know my healing is in this house because I don't have to change faith in order to get anything from God. So the rod is for us. <laughs> somebody say, somebody say, for us. Yeah, see, the rock means God is with us, but the rod means He's for us. He's for us. What do you do to what are you gonna do with that 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 rod, Moses? Strike the rock. Jesus is the rock. One night. They struck him. Moses striking the rock is the symbol of the soldiers beating Jesus all night long. They marched him from judgment hall to judgment hall. In one night, he had four different trials and didn't get judgment in either court. In one night, they led him from one courthouse to the next courthouse and they beat him in between. One night, according to Mark 15, they stripped him naked and they beat him and beat him and beat him until blood came out of his body. One night, that Thursday night, they stripped him naked and they turned him around and they scourged him. Scourging is where you have animal strips of leather from an animal and you put bone chips and animal teeth at the end of it so that when you whirl it around and and when you when you swing it the all of those all of those chips and all of those teeth from the strap, strips of leather dig into the prisoner's body and when you're sure that they're in there real good you snatch the flesh off of his bones when they got through with him, his, his back looked like ground beef with blood oozing out of it. But with his stripes, I, I'm looking for some believers now. I shouldn't have to preach that this hard. Listen, listen. When the Bible said with his stripes he, we are healed, that says that he took all of that beating, all that pain in his body so that when your body is in pain, you can call it to his attention and he can take the pain away. Now, if you don't believe that, you just go on and hurt. But I believe it. I believe that he took my sicknesses. I believe he took my infirmities. Matthew says that himself took our infirmities and our sicknesses, our diseases to the cross. The cross is not only where my soul gets saved. The cross is where my healing got accomplished. 
I keep telling you, I would run off behind some of these other religions, but I don't find a savior at the center of it. I don't find anybody that bled. I don't find anybody that let them beat them all night long. I don't find anybody that let them hang him high and stretch him wide, and he never said a mumbling word. When I was growing up in the house of God, they used to sing some of those old Negro spirituals. Remember that one, Craig? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Anybody remember that? They said, were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. They used to say that they beat him, but he never said a mumbling word. They cursed him, but he never said a mumbling word. They crucified him, but he never said a mumbling word. Let me, let me say this to you. It wasn't enough for him to die. He had to be beaten first. See, your salvation doesn't come just because he died. It comes because God took your place. You deserve a whipping. Oh, I've got the wrong crowd. Oh, this is that sanctified crowd. I, I thought I had some real folk up in here. I didn't know I had some hypocrites up in here. You deserve a whipping. The way you think, the way you act, the, your behavior, what you've stolen, what, what, the way you cheated, the way that you defrauded, the, the, the way that you lived in sin, you deserve a whipping. You know why nobody's whipped you? Because he took your whipping for you. I wish I had a witness here. Somebody help me other than Butcher now because now Butcher's getting this. I say you deserve a whipping. Why is it, why, hold on a second, why is it that we think that we've got by and that we've gotten away? Honey, you didn't get away. Judgment is on your heels. But the only reason judgment can't grab you is because Jesus stepped in between you and judgment and said, take me instead. The only way for that rock to work, Moses had to strike it. The only way for you to be saved, Jesus had to be smitten. They beat him. They beat him. They lined him against a wall. He never lied. He never stole. He never hurt anybody. He never did any wrong. The Bible says... They stood in a line and took turns slapping him. They struck his face. 
they spit in his face and said, do something about it. Sometimes when I read the crucifixion, I get so emotional. Because I recognize it should have been me. I've done every wrong thing I thought I could get away with. And so have you. story is told of a man who worked at, for the railroad and some people don't remember this we had down in Tuscaloosa one of these trussles where when the, when the boats would come up the river that the bridge would go up to let the boat through and then come back down and this guy was in charge of letting up the train track, the bridge that the train crossed on so the barges could come through. And he took his two children to work with him one day so they could see where daddy worked to a boy and a girl. And he was showing them about the bridge and all that and a train came through early. And he heard the whistle of the train or the engine way up the road. He knew by experience how long it would take. Now he's got a problem. He's got his two little kids right here and the train is coming, but he's got to go up there in order to let the, the bridge up. And he says to the kids, because they can't run as fast as he can, you stand right here. Don't move from this spot because I've got to let the train trussle down because it was already up for the boat. I've got to let it down so the train can come. He went up, climbed up the ladder, and got up to the tower and saw the train coming and got ready to let the bridge down but he saw that his little boy had moved from his sister's side and had gotten in the way of the bridge coming down now he has a decision do I kill my baby so the train can cross or do I kill the hundreds of people on the train and spare my baby. Do I kill my child? Or do I kill the people on that train? He pulled the lever. And the bridge came down. As he screamed and screamed for the boy to get out of the way. And the bridge killed the child. And as he stood there, he saw the people crossing by in the cars, reading their papers and drinking their coffees and talking and eating in the dining car. And he began to scream out, hey, hey. I killed my son for you. How can you laugh and talk and drink your coffee? My child is dead. 
some Sunday mornings I imagine God looking down at the empty seats in the church saying, where are the people? I killed my son for you. How can you go fishing on Sunday? How can you go to the brunch down by the university club? I killed my son for you. How can you sit in church and not clap your hands? How can you come in my house and not shout and celebrate who I am? My kid died for you. I can imagine God said, how can you grumble and mumble talking about who won't work with you, who won't speak to you, won't shake your hand on Sunday morning. And I killed my son for you. They struck him. Let's go home. The result, water. The first one, the rock is God for us. Say God, no, God God with us. Say God with us. Boy, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to finish it. The second one is the rod. God for us. But the last one is the water. God in us. God in us. You know what water is? The symbol of the Holy Ghost. I not only have God with me. I not only have God for me. I got God in me. Uh, when he struck the rock, water came out. I said, hey, help, help me. I, I won't finish it, but help me say this, please. Water came out of the rock. Oh, when they struck Jesus. See, how did we get the Holy Ghost? Jesus gave him to us. Huh? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house many men. I said, I'm going away. Prepare a place for you. Remember that? He said, but I'm going away. But the Holy Ghost, he's going to come. He said, right now I'm with you, but I shall be in you. Huh? Huh? But if they hadn't crucified Jesus, we never would have got the Holy Ghost. Them striking the rock cause the Holy Ghost to come out and get inside of us. See, the Holy Ghost is in me cause they crucified Jesus. If they hadn't crucified Jesus, if he was still alive today, he could only be in one place at one time. But now because we got the Holy Ghost, Jesus is all over the world. He's all in this church. He's all in Birmingham. He's all in the United States. He's all in North America. He's all in South America. He's all in Asia and Europe and Africa and the North Pole and the South Pole. He's everywhere. Hallelujah. One Wednesday night when I met Jesus, he gave me the Holy Ghost. He filled me up with water. He filled me up with power. He filled me up with authority. He filled me up with love. He filled me up with peace. He filled me up with joy. Ah, 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 joy. I'm through. I'm through.
come through. I can't finish it. Time is too long. But has anybody got the Holy Ghost? Has anybody got the Holy Ghost? Do you know what I'm talking about? I would be a Scientologist, but they ain't got the Holy Ghost. I would be a Christian scientist, but they ain't got the Holy Ghost. I would be a Jehovah's Witness, but they don't have the Holy Ghost. I got power from on high. I got power that keeps me, that heals me, that comforts me, that consoles me, that corrects me. I got power. It's a full package. It's a full package. I don't just have Jesus. I got God the Father who answers my prayers. God the Son who is my Savior. And God the Holy Ghost who is my keeper. I got a full package. Yes! Say yes! Say yes! Say yes! Stand up, everybody. I got a full package. I got...